Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. And we have two readings today. The first reading is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So I'm going to start at verse 4 and read through verse 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And our second reading is in Matthew 5, because we're continuing on the Sermon on the Mount, and that's on page 1502. And I'm going to start at verse 21 and read through 48. You have heard it that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Racha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. 
Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Good morning. I just want to start by uh, thanking everyone that <clears throat> that has uh, helped rebuild this place after the great earthquake of last Sunday. <laughs> You've done a great job. You know, we're continuing our series on the on the sermon of the, on the, on the mount. Um, before we get there, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at some of the things from the first chapters of, of Matthew. I think Jacko might have done this a few weeks ago, um, but I thought I'd have another go at it. I think um, before we get to the part that I'm gonna be speaking on, which is that really long passage that we've just read from, from Matthew 5, um, don't worry, I'm not gonna go through every single, every single verse. I'd be really happy to, but we're gonna be here for a long time. Um, before we do, it'd be good to just just look at the, some of the things out of the first four chapters just to give us a bit of context for what we're going to be talking about in, in chapter five. And I think it'll, it might help us a little bit understand what's being said. So in the very first chapter, uh, Matthew tells us of the birth of the Saviour. Um, God made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Um, it says, uh, the angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the context, really, of, of Matthew. God come as one of us to save us from our sins. That's the, that's the whole point. Um, Matthew tells us, um, after he tells us about this saviour coming to, to, to save the world, he goes into this story of what happens at the birth of Jesus and after the birth of Jesus. <clears throat> I just want to go through a few of those things. Um, Matthew tells us that Herod, the king, felt threatened by the, 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 the baby that was, was being proclaimed. So he orders the, the slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem. And then it tells us in Matthew that Joseph is told to flee with his family into Egypt. And then when Herod's dead, um, God sends a message to Joseph. And, and, and calls them out of Egypt. God appears in the cloud a little bit later on as Jesus grows up. In Matthew it talks about God appears in the cloud and Jesus is taken through the water in baptism. And then he's led into the wilderness and he's tempted for 40 days. And then he comes out of the wilderness and he, and he performs great signs and wonders amongst the people and he heals the sick and he casts out demons and he rescues people from darkness. And then the next thing that happens is he goes up onto the mountain and speaks. God in flesh speaks. As I read through those, did it remind you of anything from the Old Testament? Get the next slide up. 
in Exodus. The book of Exodus tells us what happened to Israel as they were slaves in Egypt. It tells us that Israel is God's son taken into Egypt. There's a slaughter of the babies by the evil threatened king as the babies are thrown into the Nile. Then God calls his son Israel out of Egypt. And then God appears in the cloud and they pass through the water, the Red Sea. They're led into the wilderness. How long are they in the wilderness for? 40 years. And they're tested during that time. And there are great signs and wonders as God rescues his people from the darkness of Egypt. They're called out and they're brought to a mountain. And from the mountain, God speaks. I think we're meant to see the parallels. I think that's what Matthew's telling us in, in, in his gospel. He's pointing us back. Jesus is what Israel was meant to be. And we're meant to be reminded of the time when God came and rescued his people. That's the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus goes up onto the mountain and he talks about the law and he brings clarity about the law. He cuts through 1,500 years. It's been 1,500 years since Egypt and the Exodus. 1,500 years of misinterpreting, misunderstanding and twisting of his words. He cuts through all that and brings clarity and brings the truth back to the people. Um, They'd tried to make his law something they could keep without his help. They watered it down and made it easier for themselves. They made it possible to earn God's favour, or so they thought. If you remember reading in Paul, Paul said that he was blameless in the law. Well, I think he was blameless in the interpretation it was, never, it was never meant to be like that. It was meant, never meant to be a way of gaining God's favour. That's not what the law was about. It was never about being a means of, of, of carrying God's favour. Does anyone know the very first part of the Ten Commandments? Can anyone, anyone have a shout at the very first bit? Anyone game enough? Ah, good man. Everybody... Every time I've, I've talked about this, says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. But Jacko's right. The, t- the Ten Commandments actually start with God calling his people to the mountain and God proclaiming, the first thing he says in Exodus 20 is, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the start of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't start with, you shall have no, or you shall not. It starts with, I am the Lord who has done this. I've rescued you. I've brought you out. You're my people. And then he gives them the law. I've rescued you. You're safe. Now this is how I want you to live. This is how I created you to live. This is what I'm like, and I want you to be like me and reflect my character to the world. I hope that makes sense, because that's the key. And when you fall short, 
of being like this and you will fall short, there's a way of forgiveness. God says, I'll provide a sacrifice for you. I'll provide a way into my presence and I'll bring you, I'll bring you into the promised land. Well, that was Israel in the book of Exodus. Along comes Jesus, 1,500 years later, in the very first chapter of the New Testament, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus, whose very name means Yahweh saves, goes up the mountain again. Um, Anyone on Slack a few months ago, um, Jacko asked for people to um, give the gospel in as few words as possible. Did anyone have a go at doing that? Different attempts at bringing the the gospel into just a a handful of words. Um, The gospel can be, I reckon, can be summed up in the word Jesus. Because it actually means Yahweh saves. That's the gospel. So, Jesus, whose very name means Yahweh saves, goes up on the mountain, just like in Exodus, and declares his ways, declares his character, and says, this is the way to live. And then he lives it perfectly himself. He lives it just as Israel was supposed to live it. He lives it for them, he fulfills it, and he fulfills it for them, for his people. And when he's done, fulfilling the law and keeping the commandments perfectly, he lays his life down, a perfect once-for-all sacrifice for their failure. Their sin, their disobedience, and their rebellion is all taken care of in that once-for-all sacrifice. It's a beautiful story. So the Sermon on the Mount is God saying, I've rescued you, you are my people, now live in the fullness of life. Live differently from the world and people will see what I'm like as you live the way I want you to live, as you live like me. So with all that in mind, that was just the, that was just the start. We're here for a long, long time, so get comfortable. Let's look at the passage. Chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus is saying, I created you to live in harmony with each other. I live in perfect harmony with with the Holy Spirit and with my Father. There's no anger. There's no hatred amongst us. There's no place for disharmony, for anger, for hatred, for murder amongst my people. There's none of that in me. There shouldn't be any of that in us. In you, as God's people. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. God's nature is to reconcile. His nature is to reconcile with those that hate him. His nature is to lay his life down 
for those that are at war with him. And we're to be like that. God just doesn't want us to bring gifts. He doesn't want our offerings and our tithes and all of that if we're not reconciled to our brothers. To him, that's, that's the most important thing. If you've got something to give, that's great, but be reconciled. Because that's what I'm like. I came to reconcile. I want you to reconcile. Verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What's that about? It's actually really obvious what it's about. But behind it, I think what the Lord's saying is that he is faithful. He is perfectly faithful. He's he's not just outwardly not committing adultery. He's not just outwardly faithful. He's actually, genuinely, completely faithful. You're not faithful just by being faithful on the outside. You're faithful if you're faithful on the inside. And that's what God's like. God is completely faithful. He doesn't just pretend and do stuff to make it look like he's being faithful. He actually is faithful. He's always for us. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. I was really glad that we sang that this morning. Um, He never forsakes us. He's always for us, always acting and thinking faithfully towards us. Always. And he calls us to be faithful, just like he is. Not just outward faithfulness, but inward, genuine, complete faithfulness. And it is so important to him. Nothing in our lives is more important. If if your eye is causing you to be unfaithful, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to be unfaithful, pluck it out. Rip it off. Nothing's more important to God. Then he talks about divorce, which I guess is the ultimate unfaithfulness. The discarding of a relationship that's meant to be permanent. Don't do that. Verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Then down to verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one says Jesus. God is a God of his word. When God says yes, he means yes. When he makes a promise, he keeps his promise. And he wants us to be a people of our word. Makes sense. He keeps his promises, his people keep their promises. When he, mean, when he says yes, he means yes. When we say yes, we should mean yes. We don't need to swear oaths or make special pledges to somehow make our promises more powerful. You know, pinky promises and all that stuff. We're just meant to be people that say what we mean and mean what we say. We, we, we're meant to be people that are, are trusted to do the things we say and to be the people that we say that we are and not be something else, not be a fake 
And when people see that we're genuine, when, we, when people see that we're people of our word, people that they can trust, then they may just see a little bit of God reflected in us. A reflection of a God who is true to his word, who can be trusted, relied upon, and a God who people can put their faith and trust in. We're meant to be reflecting him. And hopefully people might see a little bit of him if we're being faithful to this stuff. Verse 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. That's getting tricky. It's getting harder, this passage. Someone hurts us, steals from us. Um, Yes, we can exercise our rights. We can do that. We are within our rights if someone hurts us or steals from us or takes our eye out. We can get justice. Well, how about we don't? How about we don't seek the punishment of those that do evil against us? This is really hard stuff. How about we don't seek their punishment? How about we allow ourselves to be wronged? How about we offer forgiveness rather than demanding our rights? How about that? What would that look like to the world? Well, we would be completely taken advantage of. We would. But maybe they'd be surprised. Because no one does that. Everyone wants revenge. Everyone wants what's fair. You just see our family around the, around the kitchen table. Unfairness all over the place. They had a little bit more of this, or they had a little bit more of that. How come he got more than that? How come he's got this? How come he took her out? How come he took him out? We all want what's fair. Well, maybe the followers of the master are meant to be a bit different. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, volunteer. Go. This is great. What am I doing? This is a really bad idea. Okay, which one's your right cheek? Ready? Yeah, no, you're your right cheek. Okay. Now, I'm a right-hander. Most of us right-handers? A few lefties amongst us, most of our hands. Okay, you ready? Is it, oh, see, you don't hear you preach. Yeah, if, I, if I'm going to hit him on the right cheek, well, that's not going to work. I'm going to have to go like that. Thanks. If he was a bit smaller. <laughs> um, to hit him on the right cheek, the slap becomes a backhander. And that, that's actually significant in this passage. It's actually a significant thing to the Jewish people. Um, That was a big insult. Um, A slap to the face is an insult, but a backhander, something deeper, a lot deeper. When you give someone a backhander, what are you doing? You're brushing them aside. You're rejecting them, you're discarding them. You mean nothing to me. Um, Before I knew Jesus, I brushed God aside. 
I didn't think about him. I didn't care about him. I knew he existed. I just didn't care. Well, how does God respond when we spend our lives giving him backhanders? Well, he comes towards us and he lays down his life. Well, how about when we give him the backhander, we give him the other cheek as well? How about when we put down and ridiculed, we don't try to justify ourselves? We want to stand up for ourselves. Hello. You're too little for a backhander. We want to stand up for ourselves, defend our honour, defend our good name. Well, we as believers are called to lay down our good name, to lay down our lives, not prop them up. We're called to give of ourselves, not take what's owing to us. Imagine an army of people that just couldn't be offended. An army of people that were happy to take insult and injury and turn it into an opportunity to point to Jesus, who took insult, who took injury, and laid down his life to save us. Imagine. Verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. God's a God who gives up everything. He empties himself and becomes a servant. He humbles himself even to the point of death on a cross. If a Roman soldier who just invaded your country and taken your land and taken your freedom compels you to walk alongside him for a mile, he could do that. To walk alongside him and carry his stuff and be his mule. How would you react? You just had your country invaded by this Roman soldier, and he's probably beaten your family and maybe killed some of your relatives. He's definitely, they've definitely taken ownership of your land. Instead of hating the soldier, imagine taking the humiliation and bearing the burden with a smile on your face. And at the end of the mile, offered to go another mile. You've laid down your life, you've become a servant. You've demonstrated what Jesus did. Maybe there's an opportunity while you're doing that to tell the, this soldier who hates your guts that there is someone who laid down their life for him. Verse 43. Here we going for time. That says it's 10 past 10. That's not all right. I've got plenty of time. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward have you got? Are not even the tax collectors doing the same? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anyone else? Do not even the pagans do that? 
Again, I think Jesus is calling us to reflect the character of God. Love your neighbour as yourself. Well, who's my neighbour? Well, even our enemies, Jesus says, are our neighbours. The story of the Good Samaritan, we know the story. The Samaritan loved his enemy. Even our enemies are our neighbours, and we're to love them just as we love ourselves. Just as we love ourselves. That's odd. Just as we love ourselves. Well, I've got to tell you, I dress myself, I protect myself, I provide for myself. If I'm hungry, I feed myself. If I'm sick, I take myself to the doctor. If the car breaks down, I get it fixed. No one cares for me like me. No one loves me like me. I reckon if I was the, if I was the guy on the side of the, you know, the story of the Good Samaritan again, if I was the guy dying on the side of the road, naked and beaten, who would I want to come along and help me? I'd want me. I'd want a healthy version of me with plenty of money to come along and help me. Because I'm going to help me, I'm going to rescue me, I'm going to do everything to get me out of that mess. Because no one loves me like me. And I bet I love me more than you love me. Well, if only I'd care for others and love others just as much as I care for myself and love myself. What a witness to God's grace that would be if I loved you as much as I love me. If I loved you guys, if I loved my neighbour, if I loved my enemy as much as I love myself, imagine if I cared for you and you cared for me. And we cared for our neighbours. And we cared for those that hate us as much as we care about ourselves. Now when we do that, now this, these last couple of weeks we've had some sickness in our family um, and we've had people come and care for us, which has just been lovely. Um, and to me that's a little bit of God showing his love and care for us through others that have cared for, for me. When we do that, when we, when we are caring and loving for others as much as we love ourselves, I think we're, we're reflecting the character of the Father. Our Father shows love, even to his enemies. He doesn't just send rain and sunshine on his people, he sends it on his enemies. He sends it to everyone. And he sends his son, who lays down his life for his enemies, to rescue them from themselves. So how are we going with all this? Doing okay? How are we going with faithfulness? Being a people of our word. I'm feeling really guilty as I'm talking here. How are we going with faithfulness, being people of our word? How are we going turning the other cheek? How are we, how are we, how are we doing going the extra mile? Giving our lives and everything so some might see Jesus in us. How are we going loving our neighbours and loving those who hate us? Probably not great, eh? Well, it's about to get harder. So strap yourselves in. Verse 48. You ready? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow. You should be perfect just like God is perfect. He doesn't call us to be a little bit perfect. Because God's not just a little bit perfect. He calls us to be exactly like him. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
Not a little bit like him, like him. To be perfectly faithful, perfectly honest and reliable, perfectly self-giving, perfectly loving. He wants us to perfectly reflect him. A mirror. We're meant to be a mirror reflecting what he's like. We're meant to be his image bearers. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, yeah? They were meant to be reflections of God. Generations going forward were meant to look at each other and see God's image reflected of them. They were meant to be perfectly faithful, perfectly honest, perfectly reliable, perfectly self-giving, perfectly loving, perfectly everything that we've just looked at in the Sermon on the Mount. He wants us to perfectly reflect him, to be his image bearers. And he demands that we be perfect. It's not a suggestion, it's a demand. Remember in verse 20 we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a terrifying verse. To enter into God's presence, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be perfect. And we know we're not. The standard is so high. Does anyone honestly think that they can perfectly reflect God's perfect character? Perfectly? No. No, I think a lot of this passage is meant to to make us feel this burden. It's meant to make us feel the weight. I think we're brought to to the point where we have to admit our failing, admit that we're nothing like what we're meant to be. And it brings us to the only place we can be when we know that we're not what we're supposed to be. It brings us to look to the one standing there telling us to be perfect. It drives us to look at at him who's perfect. It brings us to look to the one who was the perfect image of the Father. In Colossians it says that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. He was the image of God. The perfect image, the visible image perfect image of the invisible perfect God so our only hope is to place our faith and our trust in him that's all we got there's no other bank to go to this is the only place our only hope is to place our faith and trust in him the only one that lived the sermon on the mount perfectly he obeyed the father Perfectly, He was perfect just like his father in heaven was perfect. Did you notice that it says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect? You don't be perfect in order to be a child of God. For God to be your father, he's already your father. He's talking to these people and he says, be perfect as your father is perfect. He's already your father. Now, be like him. Jesus was perfect just as the Father in heaven was perfect and he laid down his life, his perfect life, to take the penalty for our failure, for our sin, for our rebellion. So, 
Let's go back to the start. Jesus goes up onto the mountain and proclaims the law with clarity. And it's a whole hell of a lot harder than they ever imagined it was going to be. Be perfect. He proclaims the law, be perfect. And then he comes down from the mountain and he lives that perfect life for us. And he provides the sacrifice, his own body on the tree for us. He fulfills the Sermon on the Mount that we can't. Placing our faith and trust in the one who always keeps his promises, we receive forgiveness for our sins. The penalty is paid for in full by Jesus. And we get full credit for his perfect righteousness. Not only do we get all of our sins, past, present and future, wiped out by placing them on Jesus, we also get full credit for him completely fulfilling the law. We get both. It's a double, a double, it's called an imputation. God gives something that's his to us. He takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. Fantastic. If we are in Jesus by throwing ourselves fully into his hands, we are seen as perfect, perfectly righteous. We get full credit for keeping the law if we place our trust in him. We get full credit for him being perfect. We are seen as having fully, fully fulfilled God's law. And our Father is really, really pleased with us. In his eyes, we're perfect. So all of that burden that we had, as long as we acknowledge that burden and throw ourselves to the only one that can rescue us, the Father then sees us as perfect, only because we're in Jesus. If you think about the Sermon on the Mount as a list of rules to keep so that we can become children of God, we are absolutely doomed. But the perfect one standing there on the mountain invites us and commands us to come to him, to call on him and to hide ourselves in him. We're cleansed from sin, we're given his perfect righteousness and the Father is perfectly pleased with us. That's great. The Father is pleased with Phil Brown. Even though I'm muddling my way through his words, he's really pleased with me because he looks at me and he sees his perfect son. He sends his spirit into our lives and empowers us and he frees us to become what we already are. As believers in him, we can, we can love and we can lay down our lives because we know that we're already pleasing to the Father. Our thoughts and our actions can come not from striving to earn God's favour, but can come from a position of already having his favour. My kids can do stuff for me. They're already my kids. They're not going to become more of my kids if they do stuff for me. They're already my kids. And they just do stuff. Because they're already my kids. He's made us his children. He's filled us with his spirit. Now we get to live as his children. How great. God took his people out of Egypt to the mountain. He rescued them from darkness and said, here, live like this. Jesus rescues us from darkness, takes out our heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, takes us to the mountain and says, here, live like this. And we're free to be exactly as God wants us to be. How great is that? Let's pray.
Lord, you called us to reflect you. Lord, we are a stubborn and rebellious people. But you look past that through Jesus and see us as your perfect, obedient children. Lord, you've always been faithful. You're always moving to reconcile with your enemies. You turned the other cheek. You went the extra mile. You laid down your life. And Lord Jesus, you are a man of your word. And we can trust you. You're called Jesus because you will save your people from their sins. Your yes means yes. So Lord Jesus, we call on you to save us and to rescue us. Lord, fill us with your spirit to empower us to reflect you and help us to always come back to you to be washed again when we fail. We thank you, Lord Jesus. You are God, the God who saves. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.